I almost get jealous of Bill Sullivan. Do you notice how he leapt up on the stage? <laughs> you know, Jim Grinnell mentioned at the close of our worship time, the American pastor, that uh, through the negotiations of our president was released from Turkey prison. Aren't we thankful for that? And uh, as Ray mentioned to us in Pakistan, there's a young woman named Asya Bibi. They're wanting to kill her because of, uh, they claim she committed blasphemy against the prophet. The higher court this week uh, said, no, that's not right. We're not going to do that. But the lower court and lawyers are pressing hard. So she's still at risk. And then Ray was telling me about a 15-year-old girl in Nigeria. You remember the Boko Haram was uh, going to various schools and capturing the girls, and this is one of those girls. She's been held by Boko Haram for a long time. She was the only one of her group that would not deny Jesus. So we need to be in prayer for these various ones. I urge you to do so. May Jesus Christ show that, as we were singing this morning, you know, more powerful than, than anything. May God be praised. This past week, as I prayed on Monday and Tuesday, seeking the word that God would have brought today, one consistent word just kept coming every time I prayed, and that word was, thanks. <laughs> Give thanks. And uh, Tuesday afternoon, as I began to explore Scripture, I found 12 times in Paul's epistles that he exhorted the churches to thanksgiving. And he wrote to the Thessalonians this very well-known passage, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, in everything give thanks. So even though Thanksgiving Day is... 46 days in the future, and you'll probably hear a sermon on Thanksgiving before and maybe after that in obedience to God, and I believe the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning, we want to think about Thanksgiving. You know, Jesus Christ, when he taught, filled his teaching with stories. You know, almost no teaching did he ever present without having a story involved. So this morning, I'm just going to tell some stories. Because often our faith is built up as we hear stories or we get insights into our own life. So this morning, we're going to tell some stories. But I want to begin by just reading some exhortations from the epistles that urging us to live lives with an attitude of gratitude. Hebrews 13, 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Ephesians 5, 4. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Ephesians 5, 18 and following. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God even the Father. Philippians 4, 6, 
be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Colossians 4.2 Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. We could go on and on and on this morning, reciting and reading the exhortations from Scripture that if we are true Christians... We live with an attitude of gratitude and give thanksgiving to God in all things. You know, most of us in this room have so much to be thankful for. Our blessings, we just take them for granted because they're so much a part of our life. I was born October 5th, 1930 in Muskogee, Oklahoma to a wonderful family, had a beautiful, caring mother, a father who provided who was clearly the head of the home. 1932, two years after I was born, Joseph Stalin did his best to destroy the desire for liberty in the Ukraine. When communism began to urge all of the farmers to come to a collective way of thinking, the Russians had little problems, but the peasants in the, in the Ukraine refused. They said, we own our farms, we own our own animals, we own everything. We're not going to go into a collective mindset. Because of that, Joseph Stalin, therefore, initiated a policy that was called Holodomor. Holodomor means to murder by starvation. And so, over every district, there were certain agents who were given the responsibility of getting all of the grain away from the Ukrainians. Each agent carried a long crowbar, and he was assisted by a group of soldiers. And they would go into every house and pound on the floor, and if they heard a hollow place, they'd pry it up to see if any grain were being held there. The same thing with walls, knock holding walls. They took all the grain away from the Ukrainians. They piled some of it by a railroad station, just let it rot. They were killing, murdering the Ukrainians by starvation. Now, the lowest estimate anyone has given is that 7 million Ukrainians died by starvation in 1932 and 1933. If I had been born in the village of Abuko in Ukraine... October 5th, 1930, two years later, I probably would have starved to death. And my family, those that survived, probably would have taken whatever flesh was left on my bones and eaten it so they could survive because that's what's happening. That, that happened with many. I am blessed that I was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma, October 5th, 1930, not born in the village of Abuko in Ukraine, October 5th, 1930. Gordon Wright and James Manchester and I, accompanied by uh, Kent uh, from uh, 41st Street Christian Church, we were in Kiev the last week of October 1991. And when we checked into our hotel room, Hotel Liebed,
in Kiev. We were surprised to see our friend George Jones there. George, why are you here? He said, I'm here for the 50th anniversary of Bobby R. Bobby R., what's that? And we also met some uh, Messianic Jewish people from America that were there for the same event. What's Bobby R.? We didn't know what it was. I did research later. When the Russians had been so cruel to the Ukrainians and the Germans began to come to fight against Russia and Ukraine, the Ukrainians embraced the Russians. They thought, I mean, the Germans, this way we can get rid of the Russians. But they soon found that the Germans were just as oppressive. One day, this notice was placed on all the walls, street corners in Kiev. All Yids, now that was their name for Jews. Yids to Jewish Ukrainians was a complimentary term, but to the Russians it was like nigger. It was a derogatory term. All Yids of the city of Kiev... And its vicinity must appear on Monday, September 29th, by 8 o'clock in the morning at the corner of Melyankovia and Doreskadia streets. Bring documents, money, and valuables, and also warm clothing, linen, and so on. Any Yids who does not follow this order and are found elsewhere will be shot. Any civilians who enter the dwellings left by Yids and appropriate the things in them will be shot. And so the impression was given that all the Jews in the city of Kiev were going to be relocated. But that's not what happened. They loaded them on trucks and took them to Babi Yar. Babi, uh, Yar means ravine, and Babi, Baba, is an old woman. And there's an old woman who used to own this ravine, so it was called Babi Yar. So they hauled them to Babi Yar, and there... They made them leave their suitcases, all their money in piles, strip naked, and lie down on the floor of Babi Yar. And then a soldier walked along and shot each one in the back of the head, stepping on dead bodies as he proceeded. Then the next group had to lie on top of those, another layer, and did the same thing one by one, layer by layer by layer, until 37,000 Jews were slaughtered. On those two days, they covered the bodies with earth. And later a dam was built at the bottom of Babiar, and the, the ravine became a lake. We know Mama Yelevchenko. <laughs> uh, let's see, Dave knows her. So do Gordon and Sue and I know her. James knows her. She was working in a shoe factory at the bottom of the ravine below the dam and one day the dam broke and the shoe factory was flooded with water and skeletal remains if I had been born a Jew in Kiev October 5th 1930 I would have survived Holdemar because Holdemar did not affect the city just the peasants but when I was 11 years old I would have been taken to Babiar there my mother had, would be killed, my father would be killed, my sister would be killed, and I would have lain on the ground waiting my turn to be shot in the back of the head as a soldier got to me.
Oh, the grace of God is wonderful in many ways. But one way it is wonderful to me is through nothing of my merit, but God's grace to me. I was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma, October 5th, 1930, and not born a Jew in Kiev, October 5th, 1930. Oh, my, how thankful I am for how good God has been to me in so many ways. Some of us in this room had horrible childhoods. Some of you have overcome alcoholism. I know, I know your stories. Some of you had horrible childhoods. Some of you have overcome alcoholism, drug addiction. You've been rejected by those you love, and that's hurt deeply. Some of you have been fired from a job, sometimes unjustly. Some of you have dealt with mental illness and physical injury and all kinds of other things. But thanks be to God, <laughs> he found you, <laughs> you found him, and we found each other. What a blessing it is. Thanks be to God for his immeasurable mercies to us. Paul's letter in Romans chapter 6 really applies to us, doesn't it? As he talks about the fact that we were slaves to sin. But when we were baptized into Christ, that old man who was a slave to sin was buried. And a new man came forth. Paul says you were once slaves of sin, but now you are slaves of righteousness. When slaves are being sold upon the block, those who are going to buy slaves come and inspect the lot. Here's a man who's strong. He can do a lot of work. Here's a woman who looks like she could bear many children. She would give me many more slaves. Here's a person who's well-educated, can read. I, I can use that one. But here's one who's old and feeble. I don't want him. Here's a weakling woman. But Jesus Christ came to the slave dock and looked and said, I'll take the whole lot <laughs> and I'll pay the greatest price anyone in the whole universe has ever paid for anything. Thanks be to God. This morning, if we were to invite you to come and tell your story of how God found you and you found him, we wouldn't be through for 6 o'clock tonight, would we? <laughs> because this church is full of people who have that kind of testimony. Praise be his name. In Paul's letter to the various churches, one of the most frequent expressions of gratitude that we find him giving is his gratitude for fellow Christians. Let me read some of these. Romans 1.8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for y'all. He's a southerner. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout all the world. 1 Corinthians 1.4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. 
Philippians 1.3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in my prayers. Philemon, I thank my God always, making mention of you. We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? And I thought, isn't that the way we feel about each other? <laughs> You know, sometimes the worship team's a dickens of a time getting church started because you all won't quit hugging each other and sit down or stand or whatever you're supposed to do. And then we have the break, and some ornery, cantankerous elder has to tell us to shut up and find our seat. You know, I've said before, maybe you've heard me say this, I sometimes like to just listen and all the hubbub and babbling that's going on during our break, it's music. I can't understand a word you're saying, but it's music. And I think it's music to the ears of God as a love that is spread abroad in this particular place. Thanks be to God for his great gift. Really, here's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and I think this describes TCF. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and then this line, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? As the Holy Spirit in me recognizes the Holy Spirit in you, and the love we have for one another is greater. I'll tell you, if God should ever say to me, Jim Garrett, your time in Tulsa is over. I'm calling you now to wherever <laughs> to do ministry there. You have no idea how hard it would be for me to obey. Because if I obeyed, I'd have to leave you. Thank God what he has given us in each other. And I, like Paul, can say I thank God for every remembrance of you. As I think back over my life of 88 years, I can think of so many times that God has shown the truth, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me give you some interesting examples. I could cite a lot of them. Barb and I never took vacations <clears throat> until a time in the 1980s we took four. And we took them in Colorado. And we usually spend two to three weeks. <clears throat> One time as we were leaving Estes Park, and had just left Estes Park and started down the road down Big Thompson Canyon. The car quit. I got out, raised the hood, diagnosed the problem, determined the fuel pump had failed. This was the day when fuel pumps were on the block and not in the gas tank. And so I had a very short walk, very short walk. We just started down back to Estes Park. Turned one corner, and lo and behold, there was a car parts store. I bought a fuel pump, went back, stuck it on, and away we went. 
Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you. We didn't drive 15 minutes, but only five. I didn't have to walk as far. And thank you for letting me serendipitously just discover a car parts store. Next year, we were in Littleton, Colorado, and we'd just entered Littleton, and the car started to overheat. And I got out, popped the hood, determined the problem was a failed water pump. I had no idea where I was going. I started walking, and within 10 minutes, came to a car parts store, bought a water pump, <laughs> Went back and stuck it on. I still have scars on my hand because I didn't let it cool off. And we were on our way. Barbara was facing uh, surgery in 1996. Plan was to remove her colon. And so she said, well, we'll take one last trip. This is after the other four. This is a special one. And we were coming down out of the mountains, I think, from the northwest, as I recall, into Fort Collins, tooling around those mountain roads. And we came into Fort Collins, and just as we pulled into the motel, just as I was getting into the parking slot, I couldn't steer anymore. The car, I stopped it, got out, and a flood of fluid was under the car. The power cylinder had blown. <laughs> well, there was a Ford dealer about a quarter of a mile away. I called them. They hauled it in. Three days in the motel, Barb slept. She wasn't well. I did a lot of the uh, writing of the book, New Testament Church Leadership, the first edition, was done in that motel room. I didn't have $300. That's what it cost. But I had a credit card. <laughs> but just think. What if that power cylinder had gone out 30 minutes before when we were tooling through those mountain roads? We could have been stuck in nowhere or possibly gone off and the car had been destroyed and so we would have been too. I will never leave you <laughs> nor forsake you. Of all the years I've been driving, of all the times I've experienced car failure, because you will sooner or later, not one single time have I ever been stranded where I couldn't do something about it. God has been so faithful to me. Thanks be to God that it is true that he will never leave me nor forsake you. Forsake me or you. Paul exhorts us in everything, give thanks. You know, that's appropriate when we see things that sometimes appear to be tragedies, when really they are blessings, or perhaps something God's doing to refine our spirit, or sometimes because some purpose of God is going to be fulfilled. One of the outstanding examples of that is the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote to the Galatians this, You know that it was because of a body illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. That which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Paul and his team were moving toward a destination, and they were passing through Galatia. 
But as they started through Galatia, the infirmity that afflicted him made him so sick, they had to stop in Galatia. And because they stopped in Galatia, because he was sick, Galatians got the gospel. And today, we have that wonderful epistle to the Galatians, one of the greatest expressions of God's grace, because God let Paul get sick on the road in Galatia. How many times do we see things that appear to be tragedies when really God is letting it happen because he wants to achieve something and this is the means whereby he is doing it? Thanks be to God. Some years ago, I got pneumonia. And I tried to keep working. My office used to be where Jim Grinnell's is now. And one day I was sitting at my desk and I started shivering and shaking so much I could no longer sit up. And I walked around the desk and just fell on the floor and was shaking horribly. John McVeigh was walking by the office and saw me. And he came down and lay upon my body, covering every bit of me. Now, anybody peeking in the door didn't know what was going on. would wonder if they should be reported to the elders. But he was doing his best to stop my shakes. So I had to go home. I was in bed for almost a month. I am a person who struggles with just being idle. I need to always be doing something, especially something productive. I couldn't do anything. I, who had spent my adult life taking care of others, now had to be cared for. I just, in that bed, I can remember so clearly just laying back and just falling into the arms of Jesus. And that month, I had one of the most beautiful relationships with Christ grow that I've ever had in my entire life in which I could just do nothing but rest in his arms. Thanks be to God for pneumonia. (laughs) I cannot tell you the marvelous blessing that came to me in that. I know a young man who was addicted to drugs, totally owned by them, arrested, convicted, and sent for a short time to the penitentiary, And one might say, what a horrible thing to go to the pen. He said to me, going to the penitentiary saved my life. Thanks be to God for the state penitentiary at McAllister. Most of you have probably read Corey Ten Boom's life story, The Hiding Place. Remember that time when she and Betsy were moved from one barracks to another in the Ravensbrück uh, prison camp, which was near Berlin. And in this new barracks or dorm that they were moved into was full of fleas. As soon as they walked in, fleas all over them. And Betsy started, I mean, uh, Corey started to complain. And Betsy said, remember, Paul said, everything give thanks. Let's thank God for the fleas. And Corey said after two days, she thanked God for the fleas because none of the German guards would come into that barracks because of the fleas. She said this was the one place in that prison camp where we women had any privacy. Thank God 
or fleas. <laughs> of course, the greatest reason for giving thanksgiving, living with an attitude of gratitude, is the gift of salvation. Oh, my, my. Through the cross, through the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, where today he makes intercession for us at the right hand of the throne of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The cemetery, when we are committing the body to the grave, here's a scripture that we traditionally either recite or read. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. When this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> when God says to me someday, Jim, you walked on this earth long enough. Your journey is over. Come home. <laughs> I know where that home is. Frankly, I know where I'm going. And I admit to you from time to time, I get a little homesick. But like Paul, I can proclaim, thanks be to God who gives us this indescribable gift. Let us give thanks in all things. Amen.